Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Shabbat Shalom. We are celebrating Shavuot today, which technically begins at sundown, although if you're in Israel, it's already begun. (laughs) And it commemorates uh, the giving of the law on Mount Sinai and also the giving of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Both the law and the Spirit, the giving of the Spirit, are all about Yeshua. He is the Word of God made flesh. And everything in the Scriptures points to Him. And when this Holy Spirit indwells us, the scriptures also describe him as the spirit of Messiah. A great illustration of this is the movie The Sixth Sense. How many have seen it? Okay, a few of you have. Uh, You can only see this movie twice. Because the first time you see it, you don't understand what's going on until the very end. And then there's this big shocking ending. Uh, And this forces you to go back and reinterpret everything that you saw before. And so the second time you see it, you can't possibly see any part of the earlier passages of the movie without thinking about the end. Because once you know the end, you you view all the prior scenes of the movie in a totally different way. Uh, And you can't not now relook at every scene in light of the ending. It's impossible. Um, For those who haven't seen it, I won't give away any spoilers, but Trust me, (laughs) in the same way, all the storylines and on the themes of the Bible converge on Yeshua and his crucifixion and resurrection. And once you know this, you can't help but see him in every text. Once you know how the story ends, you can't help but look at at a passage in the Hebrew Scriptures and see Yeshua in it uh, uh, as the ultimate example of what the text is talking about whether it's an explicitly messianic prophecy or not. This hermeneutical grid for reading the scriptures is actually one that Messiah himself gave us in Luke 24. When speaking to two of his disciples on on the road to Emmaus, where Yeshua says to them in in Luke 24, uh, beginning in verse 25, how foolish you are, uh, and how slow of heart to believe. All the the prophets have spoken. Uh, Did not Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what we said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And later Yeshua appeared to his disciples, and he said in Luke 24, 44, everything must be fulfilled that's written about, about me, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. The Psalms being the way to say the, the writings, the ketuvim. On the overhead... Uh, Yeshua opens the scriptures to his disciples by showing them that ultimately it's all about him. This is how we're to read the scriptures, we're told. This is the Yeshua-inspired hermeneutical grid. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. All the scriptures, he says, are about me. Think about Paul. Uh, Shaul, after he, was, after he met the risen Yeshua on the road to Damascus. Paul now had to rethink everything he, he thought he knew about the scriptures. So, for example, he would have looked at Isaiah and said, well, the first part of Isaiah depicts the Messiah as this great king uh, with the government resting upon his shoulders. But the second half depicts a suffering servant who takes on our transgressions 
They couldn't be both about the same figure, could they? Yes, they could, he now realizes. And then he reexamines the sacrificial system and the temple and then the priesthood. And he starts to think, did the blood of bulls and goats and lambs really take away sins? That makes no sense. But what if it was all pointing to something, or, or more accurately, to someone? Uh, and if it was all pointing to Yeshua, then he's the fulfillment of the temple and the priesthood and the sacrificial system as it relates to the atonement for sins. And then he would have looked at Ezekiel 36 and, and Jeremiah 31, which both promise a new covenant, uh, a new covenant, a new covenant where God speaks to his people face to face. It relates to them as a friend. Uh, and, and he placed the law upon our hearts. How do we understand these, these new covenant passages uh, uh, in, the, in the Hebrew scriptures? Uh, well, ultimately, it's all about Yeshua. He's the promise. He promised the new covenant. His last Passover Seder saying it would be inaugurated through his blood. And all these scriptures suddenly start to come together and make sense as a united whole. Uh, with, with one integrated, finely tuned story arc. What about the promises to Abraham? Uh, that th uh, through Abraham's descendants, all the nations of the earth would, would be blessed. How would that ever happen? Oh, through Messiah. On the overhead. Once you understand the crucifixion and the resurrection, you can look back uh, and the whole Bible will open up to you. Paul had been expecting a strong Messiah to come and save the strong. All those with strong enough faith to, to follow the Messiah, to victory over the Romans, uh, and to obey him fully. But now Paul sees that Messiah came in weakness to save those who admit their weakness and their need for a Savior. And, and once he saw it, everything just opened up. Yeshua, on the road to Emmaus and in the upper room, is opening up his disciples' minds to the Scriptures. Indeed, the disciples say in Luke 24, uh, 32... Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Indeed, Luke 24, 27. Again, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Yeshua, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. All the scripture is about Yeshua. And so when you're preaching a drash or, or you're teaching a men's group or a women's group uh, or, or an adult Bible study, uh, or the Hispanic group, or the young adults, uh, or the youth, uh, or the bar mitzvah class, uh, or junior Shabbat, or, or, or your home group, or your own family at home. You need to bring this out. Because Yeshua himself says, it's all about me. Even the parts you may not think at first blush uh, are about him are. For example, take the parable of the Good Samaritan. Who is the Good Samaritan? An unexpected savior. A Jewish man, he's lying on the road. Uh, along comes a Samaritan. And the Jews and the Samaritans, they don't think they owe each other anything but hostility. There's this great historic hostility between them. Uh, so along comes a Samaritan, who's an unexpected savior, who at the risk of his life, rescues a man who would have expected the opposite from him. Now look at Yeshua. Because when you realize that all the lines of the Bible are all aspects of rescue, uh, that all the plot lines converge on Yeshua, then how can you not see Yeshua in this story? Because he's the ultimate unexpected Savior who comes not just at the risk of his life, but at the cost of his life and gives you the opposite, 
not just of what you would have expected, but the opposite of what you deserve. How can you not see Yeshua here on the overhead? So I want to focus today on three key truths. Uh, I'm going to put on the overhead. Number one, for Yeshua, the Bible was his comprehensive authority. Number two, the Bible is all about him. And number three, the Bible is a life-changing story that will be your lifeline in times of adversity. So number one, the Bible was Yeshua's comprehensive authority. For example, uh, when uh, Judas was about to betray him, uh, Yeshua says, it's the one who, who um, dips the bread with me. And then Yeshua explains in John 13, verse 18, but this is to fulfill the, the, this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. Uh, and then the next overhead. There you go. Uh, and Yeshua talks like this all the time about how the scriptures must be fulfilled. So, for example, in Matthew 26, when they're, when they're about to arrest Yeshua, uh, and Peter pulls out his sword, Yeshua says in Matthew 26, uh, beginning in verse 52, put your sword back. Don't you think I could call on my father and he'll send 12 legions of angels? But then how would the scriptures be fulfilled? Yeshua's saying, I must align with the scriptures. Peter, put your sword down. Or, or in Luke 18, uh, when the disciples ask Yeshua, why are we going up to Jerusalem? It's dangerous there. Yeshua says in Luke 18, 31, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. Or Mark 14, they come to arrest him, and he says in Mark 14, 49, every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you didn't arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. In every spot in Yeshua's life, he's aligning his life with the scriptures. I can't do that, Peter, because I have to fulfill the scriptures. Because it was his comprehensive authority. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 18, Yeshua says, Truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a jot or a tittle of the law will pass away until everything is fulfilled. Just uh, the, the jot, of course, with the letter Yud, the, the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, the tittle was a part of a letter. So Yeshua is saying, not only is every verse uh, in the Bible God's word, but every word is inspired by God. In Matthew 19, he, Yeshua is talking about marriage. And he quotes from Genesis 2.24. Uh, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And Yeshua says that the creator, that, that God said this. So look at Matthew 19, verse 4. God said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. But if we actually go back to Genesis 2.24, and you look at it, it's actually the author of Genesis. It's Moses who says this. God is not speaking in this verse. It's Moses. But Yeshua quotes Moses as if God said this. Why? Because Yeshua is showing us that whatever the scripture says, God says. Yeshua did not believe in a red-letter edition of the Bible. <laughs> Yeshua says every single thing in the Bible, everything the Bible says, uh, God says. Not just the letters in red. And not just every verse or every idea, but even every word. And he's aligning every single part of his life with the scriptures. That's why he says, what's about to happen to me is to fulfill the scriptures. This is the way he lived his life. Yeshua saw everything in terms of the scriptures. And he brought everything in his life into alignment with the Bible. I often hear people say, for example, well, I'm kind of interested in Yeshua, but I can't believe everything the Bible says. 
So what they're saying is, I like Yeshua, but I want to reject the very foundation and the mainstream of his life. That makes no sense. You can't have Yeshua in your life if the Bible's not the center of your life. Because that's one of the things it means to have Yeshua at the center of your life. Indeed, he is the word of God made flesh. The Bible is the very center of his life. The authority of the Bible and the authority of Yeshua stand or fall together. If you don't see the Bible as your comprehensive authority, then you don't have the Yeshua of the Bible. You have a counterfeit Yeshua who's the product of, of your own imagination on the overhead. So number one, for Yeshua, the Bible was his comprehensive authority. Number two, the Bible is all about Yeshua. In John 13, the night before he dies, his last Pesach Seder, uh, he's speaking of, of Judas's betrayal, and he quotes Psalm 41. So Yeshua says this in John 13, 18, but this is to fulfill this passage of scripture, he who shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Yeshua is saying, this Psalm is all about me and about how I'm gonna be betrayed. But if you go back and you actually read Psalm 41, you see it's David talking about his woes and his troubles, uh, and that one of his best friends, a person who's eaten bread with him, has turned on him, has betrayed him. There's nothing in the psalm about Messiah. Uh, it's not a prophecy. Uh, it's just David here having a bad day. <laughs> but Yeshua says his own betrayal fulfills this passage of Scripture. And if you survey all the places where Yeshua says, this is about me, and this is about me, and this is about me, and then you go back and you actually look at those passages, you're going to start to scratch your head. Because Yeshua says, whatever happened to David is really all about me. Whatever happened to Joseph is really all about me. And not just Yeshua, but all the writers of the New Testament do this. So, for example, when Yeshua was born uh, and Herod tries to kill him, they have to flee to Egypt. Uh, and, and when Herod dies, uh, they return. And Matthew tells us this is to fulfill Hosea 11.1, 1, which says, uh, um, yes, out of Egypt I called my son. But if you go back to Hosea, you see it's just talking about the Exodus. It's talking about the nation of Israel, whom God calls his son, being brought out of Egypt. But Matthew looks back and says, the Exodus is really about Yeshua. The, uh, Israel's all about Yeshua. David's about Yeshua. Joseph and Abraham and Isaac and Moses, it's all pointing to Yeshua. And Yeshua is telling us everything in the Bible is pointing to me. So on the overhead. Yeshua is telling us there's two ways you can read the Bible. You can read the Bible as if it's all about you, uh, and, or you can read the Bible as being all about him. And these are two radically different ways to read the Bible. You can read the Bible the way the Pharisees read the Bible. They saw a lot of trees, but no forest. They saw, here's this rule, and here's this rule, and here's this rule, and that's true. There's a lot of rules in the Bible, lots of laws. Also, lots of stories about various people. Stories of Abraham, stories of Job, stories of Joseph, stories of David. And every story has a moral. So if you read the story of Abraham, the moral is you have to have faith. And in the story of Joseph, the moral is forgive those who've wronged you. And the moral of the story of David is have courage when facing your giants. And the moral of Job, be faithful even in suffering. And so the Pharisees, because they only saw the trees... They only saw the scriptures as a list of rules and moralistic stories. They claimed to be following the Bible. The Pharisees believed in the Bible, but it only made them Pharisees. 
Because only seeing and preaching the trees isn't enough. Uh, when, when you're preaching a drash, or you're teaching a class, or you're instructing your family at home, you must show them what the Bible is ultimately all about. Teaching the Bible, just focusing on each individual piece, is not enough. You must show the congregation, or, or the youth, or the young adult group, or, or the junior Shabbat, or the adult Bible study, or the home group, or your family, how all the pieces fit together. How every story is just one chapter in one big story. Or, or take a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle, you know, and, and you lay it all out on the table, uh, and, and people will get obsessed with these jigsaw puzzles, and they'll spend hours putting it all back together, because, and they can't stand to have it just sitting there on pieces. Why? Because they're not Pharisees. <laughs> you see, Pharisees just rejoice in the pieces. But the whole point is you want to see how they all fit together to see what the puzzle is actually all about. It's a picture of someone or something. It's not just a bunch of pieces. And Yeshua says, you can lay out all the pieces and read the Bible, it's just a bunch of stories with morals, and you'll be crushed. Because you will never live up to it. Be honest. Even as believers, we do not obey and live the way we should, let alone non-believers. But what if, all the rules and the laws and the stories are pointing to someone. What if it's all about Yeshua on the overhead? You see, if you read the Bible, it's a bunch of rules, then it's all about you, what you have to do. And it will crush you. But what if you say, why is Yeshua the true Israel? Because Israel was given the Torah uh, and told, if you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be cursed and exiled. And they were. But, but, but Yeshua is the true Israel because he's the only one who lived the life you should have lived and loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength and loved his neighbor as himself. He's the only true Israel, the perfect one-man representative Israel. And he earned the blessing by his perfect obedience, the only one who ever did. But, but then he was exiled. He was crucified outside the gate. He got the curse. So that if you believe in him, you can get the blessing. If you only see Israel, you're going to say, I have to live up to all these laws and commandments given to Israel if I want God's blessing. And that's an impossible standard. But if you see Israel as pointing, pointing to Yeshua, then you have hope. And if you preach and teach Israel as pointing to Yeshua, your audience and your students and your family will have hope. Look at David. David goes up against Goliath. What's the moral? The bigger they are, the harder they fall. Huh? <laughs> Face your giants. If you really try hard, you can overcome anything. But what if you read and preach and teach the Bible the way Yeshua did? Yeshua never read the stories of David as just being about David. It was always pointing to him. David's the smallest and the weakest brother. God showing that salvation comes through weakness. David fought the enemy on behalf of his people. Israel was being overrun by the, by the Philistines. But because he risked his life and destroyed Goliath, his entire nation participated in his victory even though they didn't lift a finger. He was their champion. If David succeeds, the army succeeds. If David is wise, the army is wise. If David achieves glory, the army achieves glory. David represents all of Israel, and so his victory was their victory. His victory was imputed to them. But Yeshua, 
the greater David. He took on the greatest giant of all, sin and death itself. Not just at the risk of his life, but at the very cost of his life. And he destroyed these enemies by going to the cross and then being raised from the dead. And if you trust in him, then you participate in his victory. Even though you haven't lifted a finger. Yeshua's righteousness is imputed to you. You're you're saved by grace. Here's Joseph. He's thrown into the dungeon. Suffered all these things at the hands of his brothers. But he's raised from the pit to the right hand of the throne. And when he's a chance now to destroy his brothers, he instead forgives them uh, and redeems them. So now you go and live like that. All by itself, as an example, this story will crush you. Because you can't live up to it. Can you really handle betrayal that well, as well as Joseph? What if you see Yeshua as the true Joseph? As the one who didn't just go down into a dungeon, but into hell itself and died for you and truly redeemed you and didn't just rise up to the throne of Pharaoh, but to the throne of heaven itself. And when he looked down on us, he said, what? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he earned eternal forgiveness for you and for me. Yeshua, he's the true David, he's the true Israel, he's the true Joseph. He's the real rock of Moses that was struck in the wilderness so that by being struck down, we could have the waters of salvation. He's the real lamb of God who was slain so the angel of death would pass over us. He's the real temple, he's the ultimate prophet, the final priest, the true king, the ultimate sacrifice, the the, the true bread of life. He's the hero behind all heroes. He's at the bottom of every story, even non-biblical stories. Uh, What do you think the Lion King was was really all about? What do you think Robin Hood's all about? What do you think Frodo is all about? (laughs) Every good story is about Yeshua. And of course, especially those that are in the Bible. uh, With with David, uh, Joseph, Abraham. Uh, He's the ultimate Yitzhak, the ultimate Isaac, the beloved son of the father who was offered as a sacrifice But unlike Isaac, he actually died and was raised again. He's Melchizedek, the great high priest to whom Abraham offered bread and wine, whose priesthood long predates Aaron and the Levites. Yeshua is the ultimate Moses, the lawgiver, writing his divine law on the tables of your heart. He's the faithful captain and guide, Joshua, to lead us to the promised land. He's the strong and powerful Samson, who by his death overwhelms all his enemies. Yeshua is everywhere in the Bible. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, For I resolve to know nothing among you except Yeshua, the Messiah, and him crucified. And when you see all the pieces of the puzzle come together and all point to Yeshua, then you'll see that salvation is by grace. And this is what will melt your heart into wanting to obey On the overhead, every other religion gives you an identity based on your performance. It's an achieved identity, and so it's fragile. Only Yeshua faith gives you a received identity that's stronger than heaven and earth. On the overhead, only when you read the Bible through this Yeshua-centered hermeneutical grid does the Bible become a life-giving story and not a crushing set of rules to achieve. So on the overhead, number one, for Yeshua, the Bible is his comprehensive authority. 
Number two, the Bible is all about Yeshua. Now number three, the Bible is a life-changing story that will be your lifeline in adversity. When Yeshua quotes Psalm 41, which referred to Judas betraying him, he says this in John 13, 19. He says, I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you'll believe that I am who I am. Yeshua is saying, I'm following the scriptures. I understand the, the scriptures. I'm reading the scriptures as being all about me. I accept it. I know it. I interpret it. And because of that, it's going to take me through the dark times. And you, my disciples, won't be able to understand it until, until it actually happens and it's over. Uh, if you would have understood the scriptures, it would have prepared you. But Yeshua says, I know you're not going to be able to understand right now before the crucifixion and the resurrection happens. So he says, in essence, the best I can do for you at the moment is to give you this little time bomb. Just put it away, uh, and after it's over, when you begin to understand, and the scriptures open up to you, you'll be able to say, from now on, I'm going to be able to handle adversity the way Yeshua did with the scriptures. These seeming dead ends really aren't dead ends if I hold on to God's word. So, for example, every time Yeshua was assaulted by Hasatan in the wilderness, how, how does he handle it? He always quoting scriptures, uh, the book of Deuteronomy in particular, three times. Uh, so when you're assaulted by Satan, how well do you know your Deuteronomy? <laughs> Every time Yeshua is attacked in public, he answers with scripture. For example, he tells the Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection, he says in Matthew 22, 29, he says, you're in error because you, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. At the end of his life, He's being beaten and scourged. He has thorns on his head, uh, blood in his eyes. Uh, he's half dead. He's carrying his cross. And he sees some women uh, weeping. And he says in Luke 23, 28, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and your children. And then he quotes Hosea. Even in his extremity, he's quoting the scriptures. On the cross, uh, he says in Luke 23, 46, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. What's he doing? He's quoting Psalm 31. And as we know from our Mark series, when he says in Mark 15, 34, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22. On the overhead, Yeshua was able to handle suffering and adversity at every point in his life because he was absolutely immersed and saturated in the scriptures. It completely shaped the way he processed and responded to everything. It completely, it completely shaped his mind, his will, and his emotions. When you stabbed Yeshua, out came the scriptures. <laughs> he was processing and understanding everything through the word of God. And as a result, he was able to handle and honor God in everything he did. How many of you are Trekkies? few of you. Well, in my opinion, the best of the Star Trek movie was The Wrath of Khan, one of the older ones. At the beginning of the movie, at the movie, we see Khan, who's the villain, uh, he's been reading two books, Melville's Moby Dick and Milton's Paradise Lost, which are both revenge fantasies. Paradise Lost, of course, is all about Satan's rebellion. In Moby Dick, we have this megalomaniac, Captain Ahab. He's obsessed with killing the great white whale, uh, Moby Dick. Uh, in Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan, Khan wants revenge against the people he thinks have wronged him. 
At the very end of his life, he's dying. He's pretty much destroyed himself. But his last words, he actually is quoting Captain Ahab from Moby Dick. We'll put it on the overhead. He says, from hell's heart I stab at thee. For hate's sake, I spit my last breath at thee. These are the words of Captain Ahab going down to his watery grave, trying to spear Moby Dick. Why does Khan quote this with his dying breath? Because he had saturated his mind with these books. In contrast, Yeshua does not die hating or cursing or spitting at anyone. Instead, he says in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Why was he able to respond in love and mercy and grace and forgiveness? Because he was saturated with the scriptures. You are what your heart is saturated in. When you're under stress, you don't say some well-thought-out, well-rehearsed, calculated response based on what you think you ought to say. No, you instinctively say whatever's in your heart. And what's in your heart? It's whatever you spend most of your time thinking about. So what do you saturate your mind with every day? Is it social media? The latest Facebook and Instagram post? Uh, the newest movies and Netflix offerings? The latest hit rock song? Or is it the scriptures? Yeshua himself could not face suffering and adversity and betrayal without relying on the scriptures. It was his meat and his drink. So when you are under pressure or in a crisis, do you think you can face life without the word of God? Yeshua couldn't. Is your life any near as saturated with the scriptures as Yeshua's life was? You know, one out of every 10 things he says in the New Testament is a direct quote from scripture. It was always on his mind, always in his heart. He was processing everything through the word of God. And that's how God was with him. That's how he was anointed with power. Not the only way, but, but one of the key ways. And Yeshua says to his disciples, the night before he died, you don't understand it now, but I'm telling you uh, that, what's, that what's going to happen is all going to happen to fulfill the scriptures. So afterwards, after it happens, you'll know and understand. And if you understand the scriptures the way that I do, he says, you'll be able to handle it. So follow the scriptures, he says. Which reminds me of one of my favorite children's stories. George MacDonald's fairy tale, uh, The Princess and Curtie. The princess is this little Irene, and she lives in a big house. And there's goblins in the nation, but they've never gotten into the house. And she has a fairy godmother who lives upstairs somewhere and appears to Irene uh, every now and then. And she loves Irene, Irene loves her. And the fairy godmother gives Irene a magic ring that has a thread attached to it. And at the end of the thread will be a ball, a ball of thread that I have with me, the, the fur godmother says. Now, now, the third godmother also says, you won't be able to actually see the thread. It's too fine to see, but you can feel it if you put your thumb and forefinger on it. And if, you, if you're ever in danger, put the ring under your pillow, put the, your finger on the thread, and follow it wherever it goes. And eventually, it'll take you back to me and safety and rescue. But it might be in a very roundabout way. So one night, Irene wakes up, hears goblins have gotten into the house, and she hears them snarling downstairs, trying to make their way upstairs. So she, so she takes the ring off, puts it under her pillow, starts to follow her thread. She feels it, but, but she can't see it. 
She thought the thread would take the thread would take her further upstairs to her fairy godmother, but instead it takes her back it takes her down the back way, uh, outside, straight towards the goblin's cave. So she thinks out loud, "Fairy godmother, what are you doing?" So she tries to turn back, but she realizes the thread does not work backwards. She has to go forward. So she goes into the cave, scared to death, and she suddenly comes up to a wall of stone, a dead end. And the thread goes, goes right into the wall. And she cries out, Godmother, what are you doing? This makes no sense. But finally she says, I have no choice. The only way to follow my thread is, is to tear down this wall. And she starts pulling the rocks out. And lo and behold, uh, behind the rocks, uh, there's the other hero of the story, her friend, Curdie, who's been trapped by the goblins uh, and needing rescue. And he says to Irene, how did you ever find me? And Irene says, I followed my thread. I thought the thread was going all wrong, but I know, the, I know, but I know why the thread took me here now. So Curdie says, great, let's go. Let's run back up the passage. But the thread keeps going down, deeper into the cave. And Curdie says, no, not that way. That's not the way out. That's deeper into the goblin's cave. We've got to go the other way. But Irene now knows. She says, I know how it looks, but I must follow my thread. I know it doesn't seem to make sense, but if I had given up before, uh, when it looked foolish, I never would have rescued you. I must follow my thread wherever it goes. And that's what Yeshua is calling you to do today. And the Shavuot, to follow God's word, to follow him. I've counseled people who say, you know, I almost married someone, but I realized that if I, I was going to follow what the Bible says, I should not marry them. So I didn't. And at the time, I, I thought it was going to kill me. And I cried out, God, why did you bring me to this dead end? Why did you do this? But I followed my thread. And now I look back, and I'm really glad I did not marry that person. I had another person tell me, you know, I had an opportunity to make a lot of money. But the Bible says I can't say those things or do those things that I would have needed to say or to do. And I didn't do it. And I, looked, and I lost out on that opportunity. But when I look back, I now realize the Lord had allowed me to go through this. At the time, I thought it was a dead end when I said no, but the Lord led me on a different path, a far better path ultimately. In the same way Yeshua told his disciples, you're going to get to the betrayal and the crucifixion. You're going to think it's all a dead end. But don't give up. Follow your thread. Hold on to the word of God. Trust his promises. Make the word of God your comprehensive authority. Read it as ultimately being all about Yeshua. And it will be your lifeline in adversity. So when you preach a sermon or teach a class or a Bible study or a home group or have a devotional with your family and you lay out biblical truth, uh, how people should be living, it's a great Shabbat school lesson. But until you get to Yeshua, it's not a real sermon. It's not a real drash. When the Bible is executed, people are taking notes, they're learning, they get good theology. But when you get to Yeshua, people put down their notepads and their iPads, and they focus in. And the Shabbat school lesson now becomes a real sermon. And instead of walking, you're flying. And everyone begins to soar. Because when you get to Yeshua, and you show, you show how it's all really about him, the people begin to worship. Before, they were thinking. 
Now they're worshiping. It's gone from their head to their heart. And through the power of the Spirit, they are transformed. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand and pray. Thank you, Lord. I'd like the music team to come on up. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, who is the, your word made flesh. All the scriptures ultimately about you, Yeshua. Help us to see you, Yeshua, in every text. Uh, and to worship you as the goal and fulfillment of all the promises in the Bible. All the plot lines and all the themes of the scriptures converge on you, Yeshua. You are the hermeneutical grid. Through which you tell us, yourself tell us, that how we're supposed to read the scriptures. All 66 books are one big story arc pointing to you. So Lord, open our minds to your word. Let our hearts burn within us. Help us to see more and more of you. Help us to see the scriptures as our own comprehensive authority for everything in life, not our culture, not, 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 not our, uh, our, our peers, not, not social media, not TV commentators or professors or government officials. No, but the word of God as our comprehensive authority for everything in life. Help us to align our life with your word, Lord. Help us to see the life of David and Joseph and Moses and Abraham and Isaac uh, and the temple and the sacrifices and the priesthood and the holidays and the prophecies. They're all about you, Yeshua. You're the true king, the true judge and priest and, and prophet. Uh, you're our kinsman redeemer. You're, you're our suffering servant. You're the captain of the Lord of hosts. You're the lamb of God. You're the, you're the line of Judah. You're the true Israel. Help us to read the Bible, not as being all about me, uh, what I must do to achieve my right standing, but it's all about you and what you have done to rescue me and redeem me. Help me to rely on you and your word as my lifeline in times of adversity and suffering and as you work all things together for good. And I pray this in your name, Yeshua. Amen. Al-Tameach, Shabbat Shalom.